Well, good morning, Harvest. Over the past few weeks, we have had some pretty major church things happen, uh, and the staff has led them. Um, That actually sounded like I'm about to share bad news, but I didn't mean it that way. Great things have happened over the past few weeks. (laughs) So VBS was really an awesome production, and it involved so many of our volunteers. And before my wife leaves the room, I want us to give her a huge round of applause for her work and effort in that. She did a fantastic job, and every night we were talking about just the great things that were happening and the people we were meeting, but I can just testify that there's just no way you get out of a VBS week without feeling completely exhausted and completely exhilarated. So be sure, especially if you have children who were in the VBS program, find a volunteer, give them a giant bear hug, and make sure you also tell Lauren how thankful you are for her ministry here. So also, last, last Sunday was Father's Day, and all the teenagers... Uh, went to camp, and they were there for many days, and then they got back from camp later on Father's Day, so we didn't have a chance to, uh, you know, at that day, like, recognize that they were away at camp, but I want to make sure that I acknowledge that Pastor Jeremy did a phenomenal job getting these students to camp. Uh, they had an awesome experience there. My kids are all at the age where all three of them are going to camp now, which is pretty amazing and scary, so Lauren and I drove up there for a little while and checked the camp out, too. Um, But hey, if you were a youth volunteer and you went to camp and you're in the room, will you stand up? Do we have any youth volunteers who went to camp? Hey, let's give these people a huge round of applause. They're not even awake yet. I don't know how they got here. Okay, they've been sleeping in that chair since last Sunday and they just like sat up to come to church right now because of their exhaustion. Uh, But is Pastor Jeremy here in this service or did he already bug out? Where is he? Pastor Jeremy, are you here? No. What's that? No, he left. Well, we'll get him in service too. But if you have a teenager who went to camp, find Pastor Jeremy. Tell him how grateful you are for his leadership and for the student ministry here too. Hey, do we have an amazing staff or what? It's awesome to see them doing the work of the Lord here. All right, well, we are going to get into the Word together. You need your Bible every day at Harvest Bible Chapel Palace. So open up your Bibles to, uh, actually, you can open up your Bibles to Luke chapter 12. I know what you're thinking. We're in this series on Moses. What are we doing going to the New Testament? Uh, well, I decided to use a parable of the Lord Jesus as our introduction today. Oftentimes, I have to come up with a little introduction. They call it a hook in preacher class. You got to use a hook to get them interested so that they listen to the rest of the sermon. Well, how about this for a hook? I'm going to share something that Jesus said, all right? And that doesn't get you interested in the sermon. You've got issues. Here we are in Luke chapter 12, verse 13. Someone in the crowd said to him, Teacher, tell my brother to divide the inheritance with me. I'd love for a volunteer, a man to just stand up and shout that out. Teacher, tell my brother to divide the inheritance with me. Somebody do that. Just stand up and shout that out. Wow, well done. Thank you very much. Now, that, that's your chance to get into the Bible. Jesus is walking by, and you involve him in your family dispute. <laughs> solve our family problems. Solve our financial family problems, Jesus. Well, what does Jesus say? Jesus said to him, man, who made me a judge or arbiter over you? He didn't take the bait. He said to them, take care and be on your guard against all covetousness. For one's life does not consist in the abundance of his possessions. And he told them a parable saying, The land of a rich man produced plentifully. 
And he thought to himself, what shall I do? For I have nowhere to store my crops. And he said, I will do this. I will tear down my barns and build larger ones. There I will store my grain and my goods. And I will say to my soul, soul, you have ample goods laid up for many years. Relax, eat, drink, be merry. But God said to him, fool, this night your soul is required of you. And the things you have prepared, whose will they be? So is the one who lays up treasure for himself and is not rich toward God. He said to his disciples, Therefore I tell you, don't be anxious about your life, what you'll eat, nor about your body, what you will put on. For life is more than food, and the body is more than clothing. Consider the ravens. They neither sow nor reap. They have neither storehouse nor barn, and yet God feeds them. Of how much more value are you than birds? And which of you, by being anxious, can add a single hour to his span of life? If then you are not able to do as small a thing as that, why are you anxious about the rest? Consider the lilies, how they grow, they neither toil nor spin. Yet I tell you, even Solomon in all his glory was not arrayed like one of these. But if God so clothes the grass which is alive in the field today and tomorrow is thrown in the oven, how much more will he clothe you? O you of little faith, do not seek what you are to eat and what you are to drink, nor be worried. For all the nations of the world seek after these things, and your Father knows that you need them. Instead, seek his kingdom, and these things will be added to you. Fear not, little flock, for it is your Father's good pleasure to give you the kingdom. Sell your possessions, give to the needy, provide yourselves with money bags that do not grow old, with a treasure in the heavens that does not fail. Where no thief approaches and no moth destroys. For where your treasure is, there your heart will be also. The sermon this morning is on coveting. And I feel like just saying amen and letting Jesus have the final word. Because I feel like in the day in which we live, which is such a gilded age where we are so pampered and our lives are so filled with comforts and conveniences previously unknown you know, to all humanity, I feel like I really have no business talking to people about coveting like how can any of us in our country speak about not wanting things really really lord so i feel the gravity and the weight of this topic and i feel the day in which we live is making it nearly impossible for us to live a life free of covetousness but what we're going to do is we're going to hear from the lord on this important topic uh, because it is the 10th commandment a few questions you can be answering in your own heart as we go through this topic is, first of all, do you have a clear understanding of the definition of covetousness and the hazard it is to your soul? Because if you can't define it and you don't know why it's deadly, you won't avoid it. Next, are you rich in heaven? And I'm just going to leave that vague. Because by the end of the sermon, I hope you can say yes or no. Are you rich in heaven? And then on more of a day-to-day basis, are you winning the battle with covetousness right now? Let's pray, and then we'll find out how we can gauge all of this. Father, we thank you that you speak to us about what consumes our thinking every day. What we have, what we need, where we'll get it. Everything from where the next meal is coming from, to where the next outfit is coming from, to where the next vehicle is coming from. And Lord, we live in a day where millions and millions of dollars are spent 
by companies trying to advertise the next thing that will make us happy. How can we live in victory over covetousness? Show us, Lord, the very roots of this sin. Show us how we can keep our lives free from the love of money. And we pray that you would have your way in our hearts today. In Jesus' name, amen. All right, well, the commandment comes from Exodus 20, 17, but we're actually going to camp in 1 Timothy 6. So you can turn to 1 Timothy 6. Uh, the commandments are very short, very blunt, very sweet. They don't, they don't like expand on themselves. And so what I'm going to do is I'm going to read the commandment, but then we're going to use the New Testament to help us find the application. So it says in Exodus chapter 20, verse <clears throat> 17, you shall not covet your neighbor's house, You shall not covet your neighbor's wife or his male servant or his female servant or his ox or his donkey or anything that is your neighbor's. We notice a few things here. We notice that covetousness is the the only of the Ten Commandments which is internal. It's invisible. So you could be breaking this commandment right now and no one would know. It's not like you're stealing or lying or worshiping a false god, right? So this is an invisible commandment thing that you do or don't do and it says you shall not covet the the nature of the word covet is very neutral it, it, it's it's just a desire it's just to want so it's something that's good and natural and normal to want things especially things that you need and then when that want goes bad turns sinful that's when we have a problem so we're trying to determine in our hearts when something that's good goes bad when a want goes bad And it says here, don't covet your neighbor's house. Well, that's obvious. If you decide to, you know, uh, whack your neighbor and take their house, that's obviously a very sinful thing. You shall not covet your neighbor's wife. That's obviously very bad. I want his wife. Or male servant, female servant, ox, donkey. So now it's kind of like the business. I want his household, his business, where he generates his income from. Notice the comparative nature of covetousness. I see something and that something kind of belongs to someone else, and then I want it. I either want theirs, and that'll require violence or some sort of a uh, injustice to get it, uh, or I want the same thing they have for myself. I want to be equal or greater, you know, in what I have. So covetousness really is fueled by comparison. If I had to define covetousness, I'd say this. It's chasing selfish, unrealistic, ungodly desires. Chasing selfish, unrealistic, ungodly desires. They're selfish because it's for you. They're unrealistic because you're going beyond your means. And they're ungodly. There's some nature of this desire that is ungodly. There's sin wrapped up in it. Now, based on that definition, every day we're tempted to chase selfish, unrealistic, and ungodly desires. This leads to greed. It flows out of envy. This is covetousness. I like what Pastor James McDonald said about this sin. He said, covetousness blocks God's fullness from our lives. Listen, covetousness blocks God's fullness from our lives. At the core of your being, you have to understand that following covetousness down the path of materialism will give you less than what God has for you. If you agree with that, then you'll turn from it. If you really think God's standing in the way of your happy, you know, of your, of your true enjoyment of this life, then you just won't follow him. When it comes to covetousness, here's what the Bible says. Number one, you can write this down. Be godly and content with money and stuff. Be godly and content with money and stuff. We can covet material things or immaterial things. 
So for example, you could covet the honor that someone else is getting or like the applause. But today for this sermon, we're just narrowing our focus to wanting material things. We're not going to get into, well, what if you want, you know, to be famous? Or we're just going to talk about material things, wanting money and, and stuff. You can also covet relational things, like a person, you know, or relate. We're not going to deal with that today either. We're just going to stick to the material side of it. But in 1 Timothy 6, which is where we're going to camp, 1 Timothy 6, verse 6, it says this. The Apostle Paul is writing to his uh, understudy, Timothy, and he says, Now there is great gain in godliness with contentment. For we brought nothing into the world, we can take nothing out of it. If we have food and clothing with these we will be content. Be godly and content with money and stuff. He says here there's great gain in godliness. Godliness means your heart is toward God's will. You're following his law. Uh, It's not just this sentimental, oh, I love Jesus and I want to be filthy rich. You know, it's not just this feeling. It's actually this alignment with what God's word says that makes you godly. So godliness with contentment is great gain, and that means mega gain, like huge gain, like jackpot, when you follow God's law with money and stuff. When your heart is God's heart toward money and stuff. Defining the problem would be coveting is craving or longing desire for someone else's things or for something that I have to have to be happy. The Bible shockingly says, if we have food and clothing, with these we will be content. Food, check, Shirt, check, content. Do you see how this standard of when we should be happy is vastly different from the standard that the commercials tell us? What would make us happy? Food and clothing? That's all I should want and need? Food and clothing? Now, this isn't where contentment ends. Let's be clear on that. When you have food and clothing, it doesn't mean you're all done because, of course, there's going to be many other things you want, need, and seek in the world. When does your contentment start? When do you not really need anything more to be happy? When you've got food and clothing. And if your contentment doesn't start there, then you won't find it at the end of the list of things that you want. Contentment begins at food and clothing. The rest is gravy. But is that true in your heart? Or do you feel like you really need more and more and more or you can't be happy? Now, the Bible gives us motives and methods, right? And one reason, one motive for living a godly and content life, you can jot this down, is because your life is one big loner. Write that down. Your life is one big loner. It says you brought nothing into the world. You can take nothing out of the world. You really don't own anything. Hold your palms out like this and just look at them. Hopefully you cleaned your hands this morning, but just hold your palms out like this and look at them. That's what you came into this world with. Nothing. You were naked. I've never heard of a baby being born wearing Ugg boots. Oh, look at those little baby Uggs. You did not come with accessories. It'd be hilarious if an expecting mother went in and got the ultrasound for her baby and the ultrasound technician was like, oh, look, I see an iPad in there. Wow, lucky you. Good luck delivering that. You don't come with anything. You just arrive. 
And then, and then you have Huggies to thank for giving you your first upgrade. That should, that realization that you entered this world with nothing and that you will leave this world and enter the next life with nothing should immediately redefine your relationship to things because you don't own them. You don't. You temporarily have them and soon they will all be gone. Knowing that, you shouldn't rest your life on them. It's like standing on a trap door that's going to open. We're shocked by how people can lose a fortune. I love watching people lose money on game shows. I love it. Like they come so close and then they get the question wrong and I'm like, <laughs> don't judge me. There's a company, uh, what's it called, Theranos, where there's a... Um, there's an executive for that company who lied. She said that we've got the ability to draw blood quicker than ever, and she became rich and wealthy, and, the, and then the headlines came out that she lost $4.5 billion overnight. Overnight. Her net worth, gone. And the world is shocked by that, but behold your future. I don't know what you have. I don't know what you hold. I don't know what you're worth, but the day is coming when you leave this life, and you're worth nothing. You have nothing. The future of everyone is it's all gone. So based on that, your life is one big loner. Why should I be content and godly with money and stuff? Because my life is one big loner. Next, how can I be content? Well, by transferring ownership back to God. This is the way you do it. When you realize that you brought nothing into the world, you can take nothing out of the world, food and clothing then is what brings you contentment. And you realize that everything really belongs to God. In Psalm 50, 12, it says this, For the world and the fullness are mine. God says the world and the fullness are mine. He owns everything. It's really all His. You temporarily just get to move it around. But it belongs to Him. Have you ever had the crisis where you acknowledge what's already true and you transferred ownership of everything you have back to God? I have. When I was... Working my way through my master's degree, God called me into ministry when I was uh, a teacher. And a few years into teaching, I thought, well, I don't have any Bible degree, so I should work on that. I started working on my master's degree, and Lauren and I had committed to her staying home with the children. So we had uh, two young children, soon to be three, and I was working my way through my master's program. Uh, actually, no, all three of the children were there when I started it. And so we had three young children at home, and she, you know, one income, and I didn't know how it was all going to work together. The budget didn't work on paper, and I just went before the Lord, and I said, I am filled with fear, I'm filled with worry, and I am going to transfer all of these problems to you, Lord. This is your house. These are your cars that are breaking. These, this is your school bill, and I've transferred it all to him. That was a crisis moment that I'll never forget, and God has proved faithful. He has met all of our needs. Have you done that? Or are you still grabbing onto it as if one day you're not going to have to let it go? It's so freeing when you admit what's already true, that it's not yours, it's his. Jot this down. This is a prayer. This is what you can say to the Lord. Lord, may I enjoy supernatural peace regardless of provision because of Christ's promises. Lord, may I enjoy supernatural peace regardless of provision because of Christ's promises. This is the prayer of a person seeking contentment. 
Contentment is supernatural. It does bring peace. That peace transcends provision. It's based on promises. When this is the cry of your heart, you will find contentment. The content heart cries out saying, no matter what has happened, no matter what is happening, no matter what will happen, it is well with my soul because Christ is with me. Is that the cry of your heart? Is that the cry of your heart? No matter what has happened or is happening or will happen, it's well with my soul because Christ is with me. Or can you just not get happy, not find peace because you just don't know where it's going to come from and how's all this going to get paid for and how this happened and what? Are you tossed around emotionally like a wave of the sea? Hey, be godly. Be content with money and with stuff. Because your life is one big loner. You could do the best job anyone's ever done at managing your money and the day's still coming when you let it all go. You're going to lose it all. You've got to transfer the ownership back to God. Number one, be godly and content with money and stuff. Number two, jot this down. Beware the peril of money and materialism. Beware. Just look at your neighbor. Look him right in the eye. Right. Look, look, look at your neighbor right in the eye and say, Beware! You didn't mean it. It's all right. It's not good to scare people in church. But the Bible really wants us to beware It says in verse 9, But those who desire to be rich fall into temptation, into a snare, into many senseless and harmful desires that plunge people into ruin and destruction. This sounds scary. For the love of money is a root of all kinds of evils. It is through this craving that some have wandered away from the faith and pierced themselves with many pangs. Oh my goodness. This passage is terrifying terrifyingly descriptive of what happens if you don't choose the path of contentment. The Bible is challenging us here, saying we have to get off the world's plan for our wallet. We've got to. Why? Well, those who desire to be rich fall into temptation. In other words, money is a rival God. If your heart is driven by, if your heart is directed by, if you are defined by your pursuit of money and stuff, you're following a rival God. The Bible flat out says it. You cannot serve both God and money. When you reach out and take the hand of money, you've let go of the hand of God. That's horrifying. And listen to all these descriptive ways the Bible says uh, we will fall into trouble. It says many senseless, harmful desires. It says into a snare. So that's like a trap. That's like an animal trap. When we lived in our old house in the western suburbs, one morning we were lying there in bed and we heard some critter running in our attic, running around. And I was like, what is it? And I went up there, and there was a family of raccoons. Not just a raccoon. Many raccoons. Their little beady eyes peeking over the insulation as if I invaded their home, right? We had to get them out of there. At one point, we just threw the dog up there and let the dog, my... yeah, it was great. But we trapped a few of them too. I don't have a picture of the ones we trapped, but here's a picture of a raccoon that got caught in the cage. That's what they looked like. Like, oh, I got caught. Yeah, you were in my attic. Now, the Bible describes being snared by money. So look, what that is a picture of is that's you and your money if money is your God. Behold, the Bible says that's you. You're in a snare. 
You're in a trap. It says, then you fall into many senseless and harmful desires that plunge people into ruin and destruction. So now it's like you're falling. You're plunged to your own destruction. So here's a, here's a picture for people who are afraid of heights that you won't like very much. Yeah. How many of you would not ride a mountain bike on that trail? My hand goes up. I, I can't stay on the sidewalk sometimes. These people are just asking for it. Check out this next picture. I don't, I don't know what these people do for a living. They, but they have time to just go out and string up hammocks over a ravine. And the one guy playing the guitar, like, it's one of those things that I kind of feel like they're probably all still there because they didn't think of the way to get back off the line. I don't know. But imagine just taking a big shears and, you know, clipping that line and down they go. You know, and the Bible says that that's you. Plunge to your own destruction if money is your God. If you love it, if you trust it, if you follow it. Beware the peril of money and materialism. It says, for the love of money is a root of all kinds of evils. It is through this craving that some have wandered away from the faith and pierced themselves with many pangs. So I read that as like, there's all these things growing and you wander away off the safe trail and now you're, you're being pierced with all these pangs. So I, I kind of read that as like you've wandered off the safe, fruitful trail of God's word, and you're now walking through thorn bushes, and you're getting pierced with many pangs. So here's a thorn bush, right? Uh, and imagine walking through that. Like, can you imagine walking through that? If you were to walk through that, I think it would sound like this. Ow! 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 Why did I walk on this trail? And that is what the Bible wants you to think of when you think of the life of just following the trail of greed, following the trail of stuff. More and more for me, and then I'll be happy. Ow! 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 That's not the way the world describes the good life. Pierced with many pangs. So you're tempted, you're snared, you're plunged to ruin, you've wandered off the trail... Now, when it comes to beware, we have to beware the peril of doing things with money or materials that are sinful. But remember, the, the Bible today is focusing on the invisible places of the heart, which means the invisible sins. So how do we like figure out if we're actually allowing covetousness to camp in our heart? Well, you have to know the fruit. So jot this down. Know the fruit of covetousness. It will bear fruit. It will come out. You will see it come out. But, but that's not the problem. The problem has to be traced way back down into the secret places of the heart. That's where you have to nip it in the bud. So the symptoms of a covetousness heart. Have you ever gone on WebMD because you were feeling ill and you wondered if you had something? Raise your hand if you've gone on to WebMD and you're like, I feel like I might have rabies. I need to check these symptoms. You know? Or whatever it is, you're just going through, and then you're like, oh my goodness, I'm dying, you know. Then you're a little embarrassed to tell your doctor that you Googled it when you go to see him. What, well, well, how do I know the symptoms of covetousness? How do I know? Symptom checker, how do I know if I have covetousness? Well, here's a few. Uh, envy. Envy. Your eye is always on someone else's stuff. Envy. Again, this is the secret places of the heart, so you can fake this. But you can't fool God. Your eye is always on other people's things. There's envy. There's also ingratitude. 
ingratitude. This is again invisible to others, but you're just not thankful. You're not thankful. Worrying. Worrying. Internal. How's it going to? Where's it going to? How? Worrying. 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 Doubting. God, God won't. God can't. He, I don't get. And then a sense of superiority or entitlement. I deserve. These are all these are all internal, invisible, soul-level desires that you feed before anyone sees any evidence. And only you know if these desires are becoming monstrously large in your heart. Only you know it. You can look me square in the eye and say, I'm good, and you could be lying through your teeth. But it comes out. And if it comes out, if the fruit comes out, then chances are the heart is infected. So here's what comes out. What comes out is hoarding. More. More. More for me. Hoarding. Hoarding. More comes in. More comes in. None gets out. I'm getting it, and it's for me. The stockpiling of stuff. Complaining. Complaining. Well, if only you would make, if only I would be complaining. The words are telling the heart's story. Uh, flaunting, flaunting. Now you're parading the stuff, you know, which could happen on Facebook or it could happen at the family party. You're flaunting, you're flaunting. Uh, stealing. Now you're doing sinful things to get more. Defrauding, you're taking from others. Chasing, there's the pursuit of the chasing. Your schedule shows that you're chasing the stuff, chasing the money. Now you're risking. You're risking, you're borrowing, you're borrowing so much. You're borrowing so much because you can't afford it. And then you're neglecting the family and the church. Neglecting. And all of this fruit shows that you are losing. Uh, You're fighting about the money, fighting about it. And you're shopping, shopping, shopping. This is all fruit. All of this is fruit of what's happening in the invisible places of the heart. You're losing the battle with covetousness. The fruit leads you to the root. There's stages of losing this battle. Stages. I think stage one would be you're tempted to strike up an alliance with money and neglect God's commands, neglect your family. That's stage one is tempted. Tempted. Should I? Should I? Should I? Should I work 80 hours a week? Should I? Stage two, now you're trapped because you did it. You're foolish and you're increasing your reliance on money. More fear, more greed, more fighting. More fear, more greed, less God, more fe- now you're trapped. Now you're trapped. First you're tempted, now you're trapped, and then you're toppled. You've, some, some have completely lost this battle, and now you are ruined, you're destroyed, you're collapsed, there's no way out. The, the hole you've dug is so deep. Those are the stages. And I don't know where you're at, but the world's plan for you is ruin. Like the world really wants to just milk you for all you're worth and leave you in the gutter financially with nothing left. So we have to be godly and content with money and stuff. Know the fruit of covetousness. Do you know, do you know how perilous it is to live in the United States today? We are such a rich country. We have so much money. All right, I want you this pop quiz. Pop quiz. Number your paper. Uh, one to two. Okay. Number one, 
I want you to write down in the United States, one in how many people are millionaires now? One in how many people? One in, think about it, one in, don't say it out loud. One, some of you are talkers. Did you talk in school? One, people are going to steal your answers if you say it. One in how many people in the U.S. are now millionaires? You have a guess? Do you have a guess? Do you have a guess? The answer is now one in 20. Just going to let that sit there. Some of you don't believe me. Go ahead and Google it away later because it is rock-solid number. One in 20. America makes a million millionaires every year. America makes a million millionaires every year. Here's an even better question. Uh, one in how many white families are millionaires now? Do you think there's no gap? Do you think there's no... Uh, the answer to that is one in seven. One in this many. Now, I know you might be saying, well, I'm not a millionaire, so I must not... The point is, you live in a gilded age that is surrounded by so much money, it's unfathomable how much money we have all around us. And that money is driving the materialism that we are swimming in. You can't not swim in it. You have to see just how divorced from reality we are. Sure, maybe you're not a millionaire. You're like, well, I'm ordinary. Uh huh. I'd love to just bring one person from the ancient world here today. And then you can show them your flat screen TV and your iPhone and your iPad and your Apple Watch. Drive them around in your car and then show them electricity and how indoor plumbing works. You know, and then after they sit there flushing the toilet for an hour because they're so amazed, you can show them refrigeration and air conditioning. And then you can take them outside. You can show them your house and your yard. And, and wow, and then explain to them health care. And then they'll see your little Roomba going around vacuuming the floor. And they'll just be like, you're a god. You must be a god. How, how did you acquire all of this? In your, and you'll be like, oh, I'm just ordinary. And no. Whenever the Bible uses the word rich, that's you. That's me. And we know what the Bible says about that, right? Harder for a rich man to get into heaven than what? Getting a camel through the eye of a needle. That's you and me. We've so lost perspective. We confuse in this day uh, necessity with luxury. We don't know the difference anymore. We don't know the difference between necessity and luxury. Another shocking stat I heard recently was even though we are the richest country in the, U, in the world by far, uh, uh, America's GDP makes up 25% of the global wealth. One country, 25%. That's how rich we are. We're not happier. We're not happier. Uh, the number one class registered for taken at Yale University is called happiness. These these children, most of them live the good life, are raised up, and then they're going to go off to college. And guess what they don't know how to do? Say it with me. Happiness. Really like to take a class on that one. Really? Yeah, haven't figured that one out yet. We're not happy. We're rich. We're not happy because money's a bad God. Do you really believe that? Because it's true. Money's a bad God. Do you know in 2016, the number of suicides in the United States was double the number of homicides. In 2016, the number of suicides in the United States, the richest country in history, was double the number of homicides. We're not happy. Money is a bad God. It says in Psalm 52, 7, 
See the man who would not make God his refuge, but trusted in the abundance of his riches and sought refuge in his own destruction. What a warning. Well, that's the fruit of covetousness. What's the fruit of contentment? Jot this down. Know the fruit of contentment. Here's the internal symptoms of contentment. Again, they're invisible. You can't see them, but it would be compassion. You feel for other people. Gratitude. You're thankful. Prayer. Instead of worrying, prayer. Prayer. And peace inside. It's all invisible. I can't see it. Nobody can see it. Only you know if that's what's filling your heart. Now, the fruit that comes out of that, the things people can see would be this. Giving. Thanking. Testifying what God's done. Supporting others. Paying your bills. uh, Chasing or risking or borrowing under God's law. Under the authority of God's word. Prioritizing. Partnering. Limiting shopping. Like, and ask yourself, are you winning the battle with covetousness? Are you winning? Are you losing the battle with covetousness? Or have you lost it? Like, where are you at? Where's your heart right now? Are you showing no restraint in where the money goes or what you'll do to get it? Are you showing at least some restraint? Or are you doing what the Lord would have you do and showing tremendous restraint? Like treating this like a rival God. Hebrews 13.5 says this, Keep your life free from the love of money and be content with what you have. For he has said, I will never leave you nor forsake you. Here's a prayer that you should pray this week along with me. Spirit, produce the fruit of contentment and reduce the fruit of covetousness in my heart. Know that, see how that prayer assumes it's already in there? Produce the fruit of contentment and reduce the fruit of covetousness in my heart. Join me in praying that this week. So number one, be godly and content with money and stuff. Number two, beware the peril of money and materialism. Number three, store up treasures in heaven, not on earth. Store up treasures in heaven, not on earth. In 1 Timothy 6, 17 to 19, it says this. As for the rich in this present age, now I just covered the fact that that's all of us. Solomon would trade lives with you. He would. As for the rich in this present age, charge them not to be haughty, nor to set their hopes on the uncertainty of riches, but on God, who richly provides us with everything to enjoy. They are to do good, to be rich in good works, to be generous and ready to share, thus storing up treasure for themselves as a good foundation for the future, so that they may take hold of the life which is truly life. Now, as a preacher of the gospel, I have a few obligations to cover from this text. It says here, as for the rich in this present age, charge them, charge them not to be haughty. All right, so I got to do that now. So look at the person next to you and say this. You ready? Your, repeat after me, your no big deal. Now look to the person to the other side of you and say your no big deal. There. I'm doing my job as a preacher here. Charge them not to be haughty. Don't be haughty. Get over yourself. You think you're big stuff because you landed on boardwalk and built a hotel? The deed to the universe belongs to the Lord Jesus Christ. You build his kingdom. Enough about you. Enough about you. 
Store up your treasure in heaven, not on earth. Jot this down. Here's a prayer. Help me to not shamefully hoard all for myself. Help me to not shamefully hoard all for myself. They're to do good, to be rich in good works, to be generous and ready to share. Generous and ready to share. So the way that you get to the point of generosity is, I share three little checkups here, but we challenge all of God's people to have a savings plan, a spending plan, and a giving plan. So how are you doing financially? Well, do you have a savings plan? Meaning you're not spending it all every month. Do you have a savings plan? Okay, check. Do you have a spending plan? Meaning you know where it's going, you have a written budget. Okay, and then do you have a giving plan? Meaning you've planned out your giving and you're not just showing up like, uh, I don't know. If you don't have a savings plan, you don't have a spending plan, you don't have a giving plan, strike three. Like, you really can't convince me that you're doing well in this area. Because there's either neglect or abuse or indulgence happening. So get the spending plan, the savings plan, the giving plan down. That shows me that you're living for the moment when you will let everything go. That shows me that you know the time is coming when you'll give an answer for where it's all heading. The truth is, we are using money in this life to store up treasure for ourselves in the next world. It says storing up treasure for themselves as a good foundation for the future so that you may take hold of that which is truly life. I bank with Chase. They're constantly telling me to chase what matters. All right? And the Bible keeps telling me to change what matters. And I don't know which one to do. They'll give me so many credit cards so that I can go out and chase what matters. And the Bible's like, nope, change what matters. This world isn't even the one that matters. It's the next world. Help me not, Lord, to shamefully hoard all for myself. I can't remember if I thought of this or if someone else did. But I've said before that death takes unbelievers from their treasure. And death takes believers to their treasure. If you're an unbeliever... You leave this life, you lose it all. If you're a believer, you're not home yet. Like the gravel in the next life would make you a king in this world. Therefore, jot this down. Help me to treasure Christ above all. Help me to treasure Christ above all. These are prayers that will help your heart to get healthy. Help me not to shamefully hoard all for myself. Help me to treasure Christ above all. Jesus talks about the spiritual blessings he offers in Revelation 3.18. He says this, I counsel you to buy from me gold refined by fire so that you may be rich and white garments so that you may clothe yourself and the shame of your nakedness may not be seen and salve to anoint your eyes so that you may see. Jesus is putting spiritual blessings in materialistic words so that, so that he's like correcting us and stimulating us to seek it at the same time. But what he's basically saying is this, without Jesus... In your life, spiritually speaking, you are poor, naked, and blind. What if I challenged you to just spend a day tomorrow going down to the city of Chicago and being poor, naked, and blind on the street? You wouldn't even do that, would you? Oh, the humiliation. Jesus says, that's you without me. Poor, poor, naked, blind. We need everything from Him. And when you realize that in Christ you have all things, things that won't leave your 
possession a trillion years from now? Things that won't rust? Man, that changes your heart. Knowing that you have in Jesus all things, that he holds the deed to the universe and he's going to share his inheritance with you, knowing that you already have it all, your relationship to stuff is different. When you wake up with all the treasure of heaven in your pocket, you don't have to chase nickels down here. Your father's loaded. And he's already promised you prosperity for eternity. And I don't just mean stuff. I mean eternal things that are better than stuff. My son came to me recently and said, does heaven have great Nerf guns? <laughs> like, like, how awesome are they? And we had an awesome conversation about how awesome heaven is. But it's not because of the stuff. It's not that the stuff is better, right? It's that the Lord who made all the stuff is there. He's there. He's what makes heaven amazing. Jesus set such a great example for us in 2 Corinthians 8, 9. It says this, For you know that the grace of our Lord Jesus Christ, that though he was rich, yet for your sake he became poor, so that you by his poverty might become rich. Jesus set an example of letting it all go for the good of others. In Psalm 73, 25, it says this, Therefore, whom have I in heaven but you? And there is nothing on earth that I desire besides you. That should become your prayer. That should become your praise every day. The earth has nothing I desire, Lord Jesus, besides you. You can be happy in Jesus on half of what you make right now. You could wake up tomorrow and lose it all, and Jesus would still be enough to satisfy your soul forever. Live like that, because it's true. Let's pray. Father, thank you that you challenge us with hard truths on important issues. One day the earth will be rolled up like a scroll. One day we'll stand before your presence. We'll have nothing belonging to us, only what you've given us. Help us to live, to breathe. Help us to budget and spend and give for that day when we will stand before you and everything we've done will be laid bare. I know that there will be rewards in heaven, Father. Things rewarded in heaven are witnessing about the Lord Jesus Christ, leading others to faith, seeking you diligently, giving to your work, praying, fasting, serving you, loving others who don't love us in return, doing good deeds, being persecuted, humbling ourselves, visiting the poor, helping orphans and widows, living righteously. These will be rewarded greatly forever with a treasure that will never rust. Lord, help us to live for the world to come. Break our hearts free from the grip of money. I pray that you would undo the lies that money has told us. We are no safer with money. We are no happier with money. Only Jesus brings us that satisfaction. Only Jesus brings us that security. Help us to cling to you. Help us to trust you, Jesus. Help us to believe in you because our life does depend on it. You're a great God. You have met all of our needs and you will continue to take perfect care of us. Dispel all of our worries and our fears and help us to testify of your greatness. And we pray this in Jesus' name. Amen.